You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to the Big Blue Preview Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta. I am joined here again, as always, by Chris Flum. And we are, we're back very quickly. Quick turnaround. We're previewing a Thursday night game between the New York Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles where these two teams kind of look a lot more similar than we would have expected when we were looking at this matchup in the beginning of the season. A lot of eyes are going to be on the Giants, and... All of them, they're the only game that night. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of focus is here, and it's a game that kind of is surprisingly going to mean a lot. A team that is one and four should not be a game and a half out of the division lead. It's just crazy to think that the Giants right now have the number one pick in the draft and are on the doorstep of also being in the playoffs. Right. So the Giants' playoff probability is is not great, even though the record might say it is. So they have... I'm looking at Brian Burke of ESPN. He put out the playoff probability leverage of every game this week, and it's how much playoff percentages move with a win and a loss. The Giants have about 15% playoff probability on the line. If they win, they're still under 25%, maybe around 20% to make the playoffs, because they, they still got a long way to go uh, if they lose. They're basically eliminated, even though mathematically they'd still be in it. The thing is, for the Eagles, though, this is a huge game for them. They have a 27% chance swing. They're over 50% if they make it in. They're closer to between like 25-30% if they don't win. So this is actually a really huge game for the Eagles, and maybe more than the Giants trying to make their way to the playoffs. They could possibly make it really hard for the Eagles to get in if they win. Yeah, and especially after the way the first two games went, first two weeks of the season went, if the Giants could play spoiler, that might just be their their Super Bowl. Yeah, it it might be. And after some of the crazy games between the Giants and Eagles last year, and I mean, it almost feels like every game between the Giants and Eagles is has some kind of weirdness or craziness, and rarely are they boring. Uh, so oh. that's it's probably what we're going to get on Thursday night. Yeah, I, we probably shouldn't get into the history of the matchup because it is crazy and depressing. Yeah, we, we already got some signs of last year's matchup when the Giants just lost on a 63-yard field goal. Of course, last year they, they lost on a 61-yard field goal. Before we dive into the game, there's, I mean, I guess a little bit of news, maybe a big bit of news uh, for some of you uh, that we should probably get to before we really dig into the game. And that is uh, for the first time. Eric Flowers is not going to be on the Giants roster. A report came out on Monday from Adam Schefter out of seemingly nowhere that 
the Giants were going to look to trade Eric Flowers, and if he wasn't traded by 4 p.m. on Tuesday, he was going to be released. I guess a, a trade never came close, which makes a lot of sense for every other team in the league, because Flowers was officially released around 11 o'clock on Tuesday morning. So he's on waivers as we record this. We don't know if he's going to be claimed. I would doubt it because that brings with him his guaranteed salary. And if he becomes a free agent and and a team signs him, they can bring him in for the veteran minimum instead of bringing him in for this year's salary. So I would assume that would be the route most teams go. Uh, So we don't know the future for Eric Flowers, but we know the future for the Giants does not have the former number nine overall pick in it. You pretty much knew that as soon as Dave Gettleman was hired, that barring a miraculous turnaround in Flowers' game, he was not going to be a Giant in 2019. So... They're basically just getting a head start on it. And who knows, maybe they cost themselves a compensatory pick, but that might just be the extent of the impact. I would say there is a 99.9% chance they did not cost themselves a compensatory pick. I couldn't imagine anyone giving Flowers a big enough contract to get that. But they went into the season, they wanted to move Flowers to right tackle, which pretty much everyone knew was not really going to work out. He had just technique issues and and mental issues that just weren't going to be fixed by moving him to the other side of the line, especially when there's not a lot of difference between right and left tackle anymore, considering the, the quality of pass rushers on both sides. It's something we've talked about previously on this podcast. If anything, right tackles have a harder time because teams have moved their better pass rushers to the right side. Right, yeah, in in no way is it easier, which uh, some people still think, but that's just not correct. But after Flowers got benched, I think the the move to release him is is definitely the right one. A lot of people are going to bring up the guaranteed salary and the dead money that's left on the cap, and as of right now, that's like $4.5 that the Giants have on their cap right now from Flowers. But that's that doesn't really matter. It's not dead money that's being pushed into future years. That's money that was going to be on the cap anyway. And if having Flowers not be in the locker room on a daily basis helps in the locker room and from some of the stories we've heard about flowers that could definitely be the case so if you're going to pay that you know four and a half million dollars anyway uh whether flowers is on your roster or not you're not losing anything by not having him on the roster yeah and that's basically what the giants are saying the downgrade from eric flowers to chad wheeler is worth the I suppose you could say upgrade in the locker room, or at least the alleged upgrade in the locker room. It's more of a move about moving away from Flowers than really thinking Chad Wheeler is... Any kind of an answer. Yeah, is cemented as as the future as of the position. And actually, by some of the stats, so ESPN just came out with, with a new offensive line statistic of pass block win rate which just basically tracks the percentage of plays an offensive lineman holds his block for 2.5 seconds or more, which is around the league average. 
And Wheeler is actually the worst in the league right now this year, just a 55% pass block win rate. Flowers was 72nd among 90 tackles at 71%. So Flowers wasn't great. Wheeler's been a little worse, but Wheeler also got J.J. Watt in his first game. And uh, I'm sure a lot of those passes were, were from that game. He's been slightly better. But yeah, I think this is just more about moving away from Flowers and starting to figure out what's next at the position instead of really saying Wheeler's the guy and he's moving forward. This is more about just just moving Flowers, which is a need that was probably much needed. So why don't we get into the this week's game? Yeah, so let's do that. Divisional matchup early in the season. So we can look at this and it's it's interesting. These teams are a little closer than than we would have expected by DVOA, again, Football Outsiders team efficiency metric. The Giants are right now ranked ahead of the Eagles. <laughs> That's something uh, a little bit surprising. Giants are 19th in DVOA. Philadelphia is 21st. Uh, the Giants, all of a sudden, uh, thanks to a game against Carolina, are 16th on offense. It's absolutely crazy to think that the Giants have the best offense in the NFC East right now. Yeah, so uh, that's that's even true by DVOA. The Giants are 16th. Washington fell down from 8th to 20th from whatever they did against New Orleans. Uh, who knows Not what much. that was. <laughs> Philly's 24th. Dallas is 26th. Of course, with, with Philly, we'll talk about this. They There's the caveat that there's two games worth of Nick Foles here. Three games worth of Nick Foles? Or too many games worth of Nick Foles here. <laughs> um, so we have that. And, and it'll be interesting to see because uh, Philadelphia has a pretty good defense right now. They're 11th in defensive DVOA. Giants are 24th. We'll see how if this offense can match up because we saw... A slightly better-looking offense against Houston. We were kind of excited for what that could bring, and then it went away against New Orleans. And then, which is it, which has kind of a similar off uh, defensive balance as uh, Philly does. A, a great defensive line and crap pass coverage. Right, and then we saw it come back against Carolina, and so I don't know what to make of this offense right now, and I think that's probably what we can get into right now as we preview the start of this game. Can the Giants just continue what they did against Carolina, which was throw deep, throw deep a lot, and be successful with it? Can they? Sure. Will they? Right, that's probably I mean, that, the better question. Yeah, that's that's when we have no idea. Because they maybe having a short turnaround will help keep them from... Um, getting too far into their own heads and outthinking themselves. You know, right now we've got some data points about what works and we've got a lot of data points about what doesn't work. So hopefully on the short turnaround, they'll just say, okay, what has worked? Let's do that. Well, you would think so. And on the same side of that, you would hope they said what hasn't worked and let's not do that. And again, that's rushing Saquon Barkley up the middle on first down for one yard per carry. Yeah. I, I think one thing we look at when throwing deep, uh, Carolina was definitely susceptible to that. Uh, we looked, They were one of the worst defenses in allowing big plays. Philly isn't exactly that. They're... I mean, they're 21st in, in big play rate on defense, so maybe you can get there a little bit. Uh, but hopefully hopefully the Giants 
will keep the mentality they had against Carolina, which was, I, I don't think they had a lot more, you know, time to throw. They It wasn't Eli just sitting back and, and having a super clean pocket for, you know, three plus seconds. That was them just having plays that went downfield. They knew where they were going with it, and that's where they threw it. Yeah, they made the conscious decision to throw deep and get the ball downfield despite pressure, not because of an absence of it. You know, Eli was still moving around a lot more than we had probably seen him in previous games and previous years. And rushers are still getting probably too close to comfort for him, but they just didn't opt out for opt out with checkdowns this time. Right. There was, there was just a, a better look of confidence against Carolina. Yeah, Eli was moving in the pocket. He was evading some rushers. Of course, he's he's not going to be scrambling around like no. uh, like some of the younger guys, but he can still move in the pocket. He has functional mobility there, and that's definitely going to be a test uh, against this, this Philly line. The Giants are 25th in offensive pressure rate allowed. The Philadelphia Eagles are third in defensive pressure rate. So they're going to try to get to the quarterback, and if they can, we'll see whether the Giants can stick to the confidence of trying to go downfield or if that pressure keeps getting there, if they'll start panicking and and going back to the checkdowns. That's probably a real big key to the game and how successful they can be on offense. Definitely. The Giants have had their struggles with good defensive tackles and the Eagles definitely have one in Fletcher Cox he's a monster and Derek Barnett's been having himself a pretty good season so far as well we might see them try to use the screen game a little bit to try to slow that down but those haven't really worked out too well for them so far maybe some screens and again uh we'll just say this using a little more spread personnel Get Barkley outside. That's one way to to stop the teams from centering in the middle and and bringing a lot of people. If you have a running back who can catch the ball in the slot or in the outside, that'll spread the defense out a little bit. That'll get a linebacker out, and that'll that'll create a little more room without really having to do much else to stop the pass rush. And that's just still something the Giants have not done. So uh, Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation actually just tweeted this out. Uh, he charted Broccoli's receptions. 97% of them have come from the backfield. 74% have come as checkdowns. He only has one reception that was out wide, and that was that third and one against Houston. Uh, he has no routes from this slot. Like, that's, that's insane to me. I don't really understand is. how you talk yourself into drafting Barkley second overall, and then you don't use him for the reasons he would hypothetically be worth that number two overall pick. I suppose the answer is to just run him into the butts of the offensive line two yards deep in the backfield and hope he can spring a 20-yard run every once every, I don't know, seven runs or so. Yeah, that is a terrible way to run an offense. <laughs> but uh, but that's what they uh, have been they doing. Set on doing, yeah. It it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's it's kind of almost what 
the Cardinals are doing with David Johnson right now, just like running him into the line, not using him as as a receiver like at all. But Barkley's just been able to to break off a big play every every now and again, which kind of makes people forget about all the losses. But they're just they're just not using him in an efficient way, and I, I they have to figure that out soon. Well, not every team can have McVay or Sean Payton, and that's what makes makes those guys so special. And yes, I am alluding to your tweet earlier. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tweeted something about how Todd Gurley has only faced in a box of eight men or more on 9.9% of his rushing attempts. Uh, and that's because the Rams are out in 11 personnel almost every play. They're spreading the defense out and the defense can't stack guys in the box in the line of scrimmage because they have to defend against the pass and they can't just leave leave guys in the middle of the field or someone's going to be wide open in a passing lane. Uh, and I know Giants fans start twitching a little bit when you talk about 11 personnel, uh, which is just three wide receivers on the field because they almost exclusively were in that with Ben McAdoo. But the thing is, there's a difference between running the same personnel and, and running the same alignment. Right. The Rams switch that up all the time, even though they have the same players on the field. But also, the Giants, when they were running under McAdoo, didn't have plays that were getting schemed open. It was a lot of ISO routes, and here, you beat your guy, and this is Odell, what you have please. to do. <laughs> yeah, and there's a huge difference in between those two offensive philosophies. I think the Giants are in between those two things right now. They... They're doing a lot of it in the run game is, hey, Saquon, you beat this guy. And that's just, it's it's going to add up and it's going to catch up to them at some point where Barkley might not be able to break off a big run and, and they'll do that. I think the one good thing is they haven't completely overcommitted to the run game, which is good. They're not dead set on like getting him like 25 carries a game, which some teams might have. The Giants are actually one of the most pass-heavy teams in the league, which honestly is good because right now that's that's how the offense is going to move the ball on a more consistent basis. Even yeah, if and the it's, passing game it's isn't a little surprising, really, considering that Pat Shermer ran one of the most run-heavy offenses in the NFL in Minnesota. Yeah, they had a good running game but it was all because of volume not because of a great offensive line blowing open holes they just ran so many run plays that eventually they had to rack up yards right and and a a lot of that with minnesota was when they were they were leading uh, quite a bit and and they would run use the run game that way yeah when minnesota was leading they they slowed the pace down a lot uh, the Giants don't really have that luxury, and so that's that's one reason they've been going to the pass uh, as often as they have. And, but there's also ways they can they can just use the passing game better, moving Odell Beckham around a little more, moving Saquon Barkley around a little more, actually a lot more, not even a little more, like just move him around. And they just they haven't done that. And if if they can do that here and stretch out this defense, it'll it'll make everything harder on the defense. And that's that's the point of having these guys in the lineup. Yeah, definitely. And the injury report 
came out, so might be a good time to get to it. Evan Ingram, who we thought might have had a chance to play this game, has been ruled out as a week and a half probably isn't enough time to come back from an MCL sprain. So they won't have their probably best tight end, well, best receiving tight end, definitely. And the guy who could give them that 11 personnel look from a 12 personnel package. Right. Yeah, that's that's one thing that Ingram could have given them, kind of gave them in the first couple games, maybe would have been, you know, used a little better as the season went on if he was still in there. But yeah, yeah. so the Giants have been going to 11 personnel, which is just three wide receivers a little more because they they don't have that pass catching tight end right now so they need uh three receivers on the field the problem is their third receiver is is a mixed bag right now and it's a complete question mark after you get past odell beckham and sterling Shepard. yes um i didn't see cody latimer on the injury report it looks like he will be playing so he would be the third receiver he should be and he's been you know okay in spots but also, you could have a third wide receiver in Saquon Barkley. Like, he could be the yeah. number three. Like, that's It could that's be the number fine. two. But that's also true. Sure. Sure. Let's let's just work on getting him some passes, though. Get him the ball with a chance to do something. That's all we ask, really. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of number two receivers, that's kind of where Philly is, is really weak right now. They're 31st in DVOA against number two receivers. Uh, so this might be a good uh, good Sterling Shepard game. That might be the way to attack them. And they're yeah. they're basically around average everywhere else. They're 15th against number one receivers, even though they're allowing like 122 yards per game to number one receivers. They're third against tight ends, which probably not going to be good for getting Red Ellison involved. They're 16th defending running backs in the passing game. So we'll see just how they how they match up there, and hopefully the Giants can can use some of those mismatches and work it through. Definitely. Uh, from what I've seen and from what I recall, they do play sides with Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby, so that that might give the Giants opportunities to maybe get Odell Beckham back, matched up on Jalen Mills, which is um, a mismatch, I think you could say. Yeah, I think you could probably safely uh, say that right now. Among 66 qualified cornerbacks this season, Jalen Mills is 62nd in yards allowed per pass and 53rd in success rate. And he's started every game for Philadelphia. Ronald Darby is 26th in yards allowed per pass, 47th in success rate. So this Philly secondary hasn't been quite as good as they were hoping. There's definitely some places where, where you can exploit them. Mills definitely is, is one spot. Uh, so we'll, we'll see if that's something the, the Giants try to work in their favor. Yeah. Now, the problem is, of course, dealing with that Philly defensive line and right. their pretty ridiculous pressure rate. Yeah, they're probably going to get to the quarterback and how the Giants plan to scheme around that is definitely going to be one of the biggest keys of the game. I think we can flip to the other side of the ball, and pressure is, I think, going to be a key on that side too. The Giants haven't 
been able to get it on a consistent basis. They're 15th in defensive pressure rate. A lot of that came against Houston. Uh, They like shot up to like fourth after that game and have dropped since. They didn't get a lot of pressure on Cam Newton last week, Uh, but they might be getting Olivier Vernon back. He was taken off the injury report, the one that just came out that we just talked about. We don't know whether he's really going to be a full go or if they're going to ease him in a little bit or how much he's going to play, but it looks like he will play. He's definitely the Giants' best pass rusher, so we'll definitely see how he can impact that pass rush. Oh, definitely. If he can be anything like the player he was in preseason, that will be a huge shot in the arm for a Giants defense, which has think they are they are still last in the league in in terms of sacks and that's you know for a James Betcher defense that is just not good enough they're a pressure defense that's not getting pressure yeah they have somewhat been getting pressure but definitely not turning it into sacks but they're going to be facing a Philly offensive line that has been one of the best offensive lines in the past, uh, but it's it's not the case this year. They're 26th in offensive pressure rate allowed, and remember, the Giants are 25th. So the Eagles are one spot below the Giants in offensive pressure rate allowed. Um, Carson Wentz is getting sacked on like 9% of his dropbacks, um, which is kind of crazy. And sack rate can sometimes be more of a quarterback stat, so some of it is on Wentz, but the offense is allowing pressure to get through. If that matches up and the Giants can get some pressure, that that might be something they can use to, to disrupt the, the Eagles passing game, which has not been great to this point. No, no. I, they only just got Alshon Jeffrey back, but they also just lost uh, JJ, which is probably going to upset their running game some, although they'll probably move Corey Clement up to the lead back. Now, how that works against the Giants' defensive front with uh, Snacks Harrison and Dalvin Tomlinson and B.J. Hill, you know, that that remains to be seen. But that might shift more load onto a passing game, which, like I said, if they can get get Vernon on the field and get him to disrupt it, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, But I think the Eagles are honestly a a smart enough team that if the run game is not working that's not something they're gonna force um i think doug peterson is one of the head coaches who does realize how much better the pass is than the run and even when the pass is relatively not working uh, it's still better than a run game that's not working so if that happens we can still see a little bit of Corey clement who Uh, looks to be healthy going into this game. We might see a little bit of Wendell Smallwood, who played a lot with the Jai last week. So yeah, they're probably going to get the running backs more involved in the passing game um, if they need to, and if that run game isn't working. Yeah, but the players the Giants really need to watch out for are the tight ends, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Mark Schofield just put up a predictably fantastic piece about Carson Wentz and his chemistry with his tight ends and how the Eagles like to use them. And Giants fans basically have a Pavlovian response now of just cringing whenever there's 
a pass that goes towards a tight end, and I that could only get reinforced this game. They are right now the Eagles' first and third highest reception totals, and that's not good news for a Giants defense. The Giants are actually surprising seventh in DVOA against opposing tight ends. Uh, That'll definitely be put into the test against the Eagles. So uh, this little piece is going to be in in my Giants defensive preview that will hopefully be up uh, by the time you're listening uh, to this podcast. So Philadelphia uses 12 personnel, which is one running back and two tight ends, uh, a league leading 37% of the time. Now league wide teams only pass 51% out of 12 personnel. The Eagles pass 66% of the time um, out of 12 personnel when they have two tight ends on the field. So they basically use that, like we said the Giants could have, they basically use that as 11 personnel. Zach Ertz is basically a a third wide receiver. Uh, Dallas Goddard has has been there too. And when when the Eagles can use heavier personnel like that and they're successful passing the ball, that opens up play action too. And... The Eagles use play action at the fourth highest rate in the league. And the Giants have allowed the 13 highest yards per play when opponents use play action on them. So the Eagles just opening up a whole bunch of things just by using that type of formation and personnel. And it it opens up their passing game there. It opens up the run game because they do have a heavy formation. Uh, And it opens up play action, which is exactly what you want if you're an offense. The Eagles, uh, even though the results haven't been great, their process is exactly what you want out of an offense. Definitely. The Giants will probably use a lot of Ray Ray Armstrong and their nickel package, which is something they've used quite a bit. I haven't charted the last two games, but it feels like they've only used a base defense about a handful of plays against both New Orleans and Carolina. Yeah, yeah, they they don't use base a lot. Betcher has never really used base no. a lot. He was almost like 66% in nickel last year with Arizona. And th- that works a lot when uh, Arizona had basically a, a pseudo a pseudo linebacker safety in in Dion Buchanan who had that money backer role, and he was one of the linebackers, so it's always easier to play nickel when you have that. I mean, you kind of have Landon Collins for that now, even though they don't run another safety out there, which, you know, maybe they should because, as we've talked about, Curtis Riley has not been great. When we we talk about Riley now and uh, we talk about the use of the tight ends, it's going to put, and even the running backs in the passing game, that's going to put a lot of stress on on the linebackers and safeties to make plays. And that might not be a great position for the Giants defense to be in. Now, uh, Landon Collins seems to be finding his stride in the new defense. Yeah. Uh, he's been a lot more active the last two games. He's been actually pretty good in coverage on both Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. And maybe that could translate over to... Ertz and Goddard if the Giants use him that way yeah I think the, the the coverage has been good I think the thing that we might need to be concerned about is when the catches happen 
Uh, if the Giants can tackle, uh, uh, that's yeah. that's been an issue. Uh, Landon Collins has four missed tackles uh, per Sports Info Solutions charting, but it, it's not quite as bad because it's only it's 16% of his tackle attempts, uh, which isn't great. But when you look at uh, Curtis Riley and Alec Ogletree, they both have five broken tackles, which is tied for the third most total. Riley is missing a tackle on 22.7% of his tackle attempts. Alec Ogletree has a broken tackle on 25% of his tackle attempts. Um, So that is not what you want from the guys who were supposed to be the middle, and in Riley's case, like the last line of your defense. Tackling is a lost art in football in general. It starts in college, and they still don't teach it really well at the NFL level. But you need your linebackers and your safeties to tackle well. You need them to take good angles. You need them to wrap up and drive through and you don't need to blow the ball carrier up every time you need to get them on the ground not bouncing off a shoulder check right yeah so the giants are seventh as a team in broken tackle rate on defense and that that's... maybe they need to spend more time with those big donuts or something Man, something because they're they're taking bad angles. They're just they're letting guys run through them. I mean, you had you had the DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel plays last yeah. week, but I mean those those weren't rare. We've kind of seen those kinds of plays all season. Yeah, and it it's something that is making the defense look worse than it is. You know, if they got those guys down on first contact like they should, then games might look a little bit different yeah that's definitely a good point when they're they are getting to the ball but the Giants defense is 22nd in yards allowed per drive and they're 26 in points allowed per drive and when you have missed tackles at a high rate like that and teams are gaining extra yards they're coming closer to the goal line they're getting closer to field goal range and teams are kicking a whole bunch of field goals on them but, you know, all of those add up. If you're allowing a field goal like almost every other drive, I mean, that's that's just as bad as giving up a touchdown every fourth drive. So when you're consistently allowing teams to just inch up and get into field goal range like that, it's that's not a sustainable way to, to play good defense, and we're seeing that. No, especially when your offense isn't... It's only functioning sporadically. It's probably a good way to put it. <laughs> Sporadic is definitely a a good way to put it. So I, I think I think maybe the the last thing we really need to get to is really looking at Carson Wentz, who has come back. He's played in three games, but he has not looked particularly good. He's been efficient in his just the raw box scores, he's completing just over sixty seven percent of his passes, five touchdowns, one interception, but. Yeah, not really great. And taking as many sacks as he is is not good for a guy coming off an ACL. No, so it's actually really crazy how similar some of the stats between Carson Wentz and Eli Manning are right now. So what you're saying is that the Eagles should retire Wentz and draft a new quarterback? 
Well, I think there may be a little <laughs> bit of a difference between a 26-year-old and a 37-year-old, especially when the 26-year-old is coming off a torn ACL. But yeah. right now, in yards per attempt, Carson went 7.5, Eli 7.4. And this isn't to say that Eli is playing up to Carson Wentz. I kind of think it's the other way around, which is not great for Wentz. In QBR, Wentz 49.4 and Eli is 55.2. In adjusted net yards per attempt, which factors in touchdowns, interceptions, and sacks, Wentz is at 6.57, Eli is at 6.1. Wentz is getting sacked 9% of his dropbacks, Eli 7.9. A lot of these are are very similar when, when you put them together. I have a little more confidence in Wentz and the Eagles offense as a whole eventually breaking through there. Um, Figuring it out and getting... Yeah, but I don't know if a short week is going to be when that happens. And again, like we said, if the Giants can keep pressure on that and get through and Wentz has been taking sacks, maybe maybe they have the chance to slow them down. That's probably their one chance to really get there. Yeah, that... Hopefully for the Giants, Vernon would be that X factor because there's basically no tape on him in this defense. You know, there's tape on Connor Barwin and Kareem Martin. So you might be able to extrapolate that with maybe how Chandler Jones was used in Arizona and get maybe some idea. But the Eagles don't really know how Vernon will be used and come at them. And if he's anything like the player he was in the preseason when in just 47 snaps in the preseason, Vernon got a sack and two quarterback hits, which at the rate the Giants are getting pressure through the first five games, that would be a big boost for them, especially if it could free up some uh, runs for B.J. Hill and Lorenzo Carter and Kareem Martin and Kerry Wynn and all the other guys who have just been contributing in bits and starts. Right, that's that's one thing where if there's actually someone the offense needs to actually focus on, it could potentially open up some other lands for, for some of the lesser guys who have been doing okay, but they're not the types of guys you expect to consistently win one-on-one at a high rate. So, so it, it affects everything across the defensive line there. So yeah, I think pressure really on both sides is probably going to be the key to this game um and and how each team adjusts to it definitely considering how similar these teams often are in the way they're built and the way they go about winning games that's not uncommon for a giants eagles game hopefully we could do without the weird bad things that tend to haunt these games yeah hopefully there won't be anything like that this game yeah, who knows? There's probably going to be something weird. It usually, more often than not, is the case with these games. I mean, this is a big game. No one in the NFC East is over 500 right now with a loss. You know, like we said up top, Eagles drop to two and four. They're almost out of it, and the Giants go up to two and four. Um, I mean, with the Giants' loss, they're pretty much done at one and five probably regardless of how bad the rest of the division is. So really, I think big, big swing going through here, and we'll see how it plays out on Thursday night. I think that's going to be it for this podcast. Thanks for listening. 
If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that anywhere you find your podcast. Please rate and review. That's very helpful for this podcast, and we really uh, appreciate it. We are going to be back on Friday because this game is happening on Thursday. So we'll be back on Friday breaking down what happened in this game. And until then, thanks for hanging out, and we'll talk to you again soon. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.